Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles' core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In series two, we worked our way through an assortment of added Beatles goodies, such as Live at the BBC, the anthology series and the movies. And now for series three, we are looking at all the post-Beatles singles released in the decade following their breakup. As with series one, we will take five songs in random order each week and score them for music, production and lyrics to find the best post-Beatles Beatles hits. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to series three, episode 13, and welcome to Pabbit. Oh, that's me. That's you. In a terrible sticking my first initial on front of my surname type way. <laughs> Running out of combos. Um, happy, happy New Year. Happy New Year uh, for 23 days ago. Yes, yeah. It's a slightly closer for us in recording time, isn't it? But, but it's, not much closer. <laughs> no, but it's not, yeah. yeah. But it's first time. We're back. But, we're back. It's yeah. New Year. We're back. It's 2023, and it wasn't last time we did one of these. Exactly. And of all the hope it brings... So um, let's have our first um, admin of the year, which is don't forget, you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And do please drop us a review for the new year, a new year review on whatever platform you are listening on, if you can, and like and share our posts. And always check that episode description for links for our various music and other projects. Yes. Yes. If you haven't, do it. Click some things. Listen to some things. Whatever. If you have, thank you. If you have, thanks. Yeah. Um, Paul, anything New Year Beatle-y before we go on with the Beatles Day that, that's occurring? Uh, well, it would have, have, have occurred. occurred. No, uh, nothing uh, particularly. I was just going to see, you know, we got some Beatles-y Christmas presents, didn't we? And things like that. Mm, yes. So I, yes. I, I actually, what turned up only uh, doo, 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 yesterday for me was a belated Christmas present because those delays. Uh, it was a book. Mm. So I got two very good Beatles books for Christmas. I got uh, Daffod Reese's uh, The Beatles 1963, A Year in the Life, which is a sort of granular look at everything they did in, in the year 1963. Mm. That's really good because it's got lots of a sort of eyewitness I think is the word mm. accounts of things and, and stories of people not just about seeing the Beatles but about their lives and the situations and stuff so that's really good yeah I was going to eke it out and try and read it like on the days for the entries throughout mm. this year being 60 years on but um, I just got carried away so I'm into March of that already <laughs> and yeah the thing that turned up yesterday is um and quite a lot of people have been getting this and are very excited about it and i am and i wish i'd had it at the start of this season of the right. big beatles sort out just the mccartney legacy volume one right. which takes in a granular look at the work of McCart paul mccartney between 1969 and 1973 uh-huh. so things like all the recording sessions are, are detailed nice and clearly oh. as well so okay. i'm very very much getting looking forward to getting stuck into that Ooh. And a couple more CDs to fill gaps in the old yeah. solo Beatles thing. Um, stuff like that. It's been good. And I, too, I got my Revolver edition. Not the Spe- big... Special edition. Yeah, special edition, but it, which is great. I really enjoyed the new mixes. 
I think they pop quite nicely. Yeah. And um, you got me that book that is in my pile of books for Christmas that I'm going to, which I started yeah. reading a bit, which is, remind me. Love Me Do, The Beatles' Progress. So the one that yes. was written actually quite early in their which career. I've started on and looks great, but I've oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. received several books. I, mean, I just need to finish the one I was reading at the time. I can't do several at the same time after no, neither can the I. queue. So I can't wait to get stuck into that too. But of course, this time last year, we would have been going bonkers over Get Back, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, um, no, no, nothing yet from um, Peter Jackson as to the hinted at next project have we? well i think i suspect that the next project actually turned out being using the him using the technology to, oh, demix, to do the live thing to deem one well, to demix the tracks for so that they could do revolver and stuff oh okay oh, well. i think but oh. i don't know i, I don't thought, know oh, okay cool well then so let us know what beatles goodies you've had what it will seem like an eternity ago <laughs> By the time yeah, almost, yeah, almost exactly a month ago. Yeah, and, um, and but you know why not? Um, yeah. That's what our Twitter and things there for. Beatly chat, um, Paul. Let's get on with the Beatles' day then, which is as I've mentioned, the twenty third of January. Yes, a uh, quick one for the twenty third of January, nineteen sixty four. It's uh, Beatles in Paris. So it started nineteen sixty four. They go and do like this eighteen show run in one place in in paris right so they're staying at the george fifth hotel uh doing 18 shows at the olympia theater it's the time when they hear that um i want to hold your hands got to number yes. one in yeah. america yeah. so they're you know they're on a sort of the excitement of knowing that they're going to america soon as people with a number one mm. single and um yeah on this particular day which is day seven of the 18 they play two shows, and at some point during that day, they record a demo of a song, One on One is Two, right. which we've we've covered we? on, yeah, on songs they gave away. Ah, right. Gosh, um, can't bring it to mind. Episode 48, Songs They Gave Away, Part 2, that's when we talked about it. Oh, very, very good. Yeah, and they, they record it with a plan to give it to Billy J. Kramer, and he goes, no. And they go, all right, what about the foremost? And they go, no. And it ends up going out with uh, by the Strangers and Mike Shannon, the South African group. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes to mind. Yeah, it's yeah. a song that is not particularly good in the yeah, version that. Yeah, yeah. But I would have loved to have heard a Beatles version of it. But I thought I just to, just to supplement that, I just had a quick look at what was in the newspapers on the twenty third of January nineteen sixty four while the boys were over in France, mm. and the the Daily Mail. Um, Typical to how it acts to this very day is uh, is still just basically relying on you know celebrity gossip to yeah to to, 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 to prop up its its weak position anyway. Mm. So it has a it has an article called "The Beatles in Color," advertising a double page color photograph of the Beatles to be in the Weekend magazine coming up, mm-hmm. and the intriguing story of quote the Beatle they left behind. So I assume that's something about Pete Best. Um. And then there's two other stories spread in elsewhere in the newspaper. One is pop singer admits hitting Beatle fan, which is a story about how the French pop singer Johnny Halliday um, hit someone who had sort of got up in his fiance's face when they were on the mm. program with the Beatles. Um, yeah, so he was annoyed that someone, uh, someone had sort of 
whipped up in a frenzy by the Beatles, got up in Sylvie Vartan's face. Nah. So <laughs> I like this quote, though. Later, when I was ready to leave with Sylvie, a tall, fair-haired young man was brought to me. I could not resist taking a punch at him. <laughs> so it's a 16-year-old. Johnny brought, Halliday just punched him. Here's a, yeah. yes, that's, it's Johnny brilliant. Halliday. Bring me as a 16-year-old. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, and there's one other article in the paper that day, which I, I found fascinating. Coming up fast behind the Beatles, dot, dot, dot. And it's a story about how folk music is going to overtake the beat craze. Right. Folk music, put over by three boys and a girl from Birmingham, is on its way around America and selling in a way even the Beatles might envy. And it's a story about the Ian Campbell folk group. Mm. which is uh, quite important in the British folk scene. It's it's a group that's got um, Dave Swarbrick in it, who went on to play with Fairport Convention, and he's a phenomenal fiddle player, Dave Swarbrick. Really, yeah. really important in the British folk movement. Um, but this is, uh, this is the newspaper sort of reporting on these people as being like, well, folk singers are making money too, which means that the Beatles are done for. Yeah, they were always looking for something, weren't they? Yeah, they're always hedging their bets. Like, we're going to have a colour photograph in our magazine. Everyone, Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. Oh, the Beatles are on the way out. Yeah, I think when you're defining the new wave or kind of act always against someone like the Beatles, then the Beatles are still there, aren't they? It's when you stop defining everything against them that they've gone, I think. So Yeah, it's it's interesting. I did actually share on our Twitter a little earlier today on the day we're recording, Mm. um, which is the 9th of January, an article from Teen Magazine, an American magazine from 1964, which predicts that the Beatles are going to end because uh, for factors such as they were seen going on holiday with girls that they weren't married to. Right. Um, well, they, they were their girlfriends. Yeah. So, uh, and that they were going to get conscripted into the British Army when conscription for people their age had ended yeah. like years before. Clutching at straws there. The straws yeah. that don't I mean, exist. The Beatles almost got conscripted before they mm. were Beatles. You know, but they didn't, and conscription ended in 1960. So this this idea that this magazine in 1964 is going, well, Ringo won't be conscripted because he was ill as a child. John won't be conscripted because he's married. But Paul and George will be going off to join Her Majesty's Army. They're just making anything up, aren't they? <laughs> just rubbish. We need to say the word Beatles in an article to sell things. Yeah. But um, okay, well there we go yeah. then. So shall we get on with? The heady days of the seventies, mostly. Yes. And oh, what a fact! And start in the eighties, though. Start in the eighties. Oh yeah, yeah. Bordering slightly into the eighties, with our first uh, track this week, "Woman," John Lennon. Woman, Paul. You sound like a caveman, Gary. Warbird. <laughs> like a cartoon caveman. Uh, Captain Caveman. Thanks. Okay. Anyway, uh, a very well-known John Lennon track, Woman. Mm. Um, we're talking about the single release of this, which is released posthumously. Yeah. It's got a song called Beautiful Boys on the B-side by Yoko. 
comes out on the 16th of January 1981. So we're very, very close to, to John's death. So just so you, this was was this after his death, did you say? Or did Yeah, yeah. So, But the song that was on the B-side was recorded very close to his before. Well, they, they're both songs from Double Fantasy. Right. Which came out before he died. Yeah. And this is the single after he died. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, it's on Geffen. It gets to number one. I mean, in the UK, as a result of his death, you have like a block of three Lennon songs all going to number one. And this, this is one of them, and it's in the charts for 11 weeks. Hmm. Like I say, it's off Double Fantasy. It's recorded in New York at the Hit Factory on dates in August and September 1980. Um, written by John, produced by J- John, uh, Yoko and Jack Douglas. And like I say, a very famous, well-known song, Woman, which hmm. has got Lennon in a sort of... A sort of 1980s version of his Beatles self, or a, a particular type of Beatles sound, I think. Hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, what, 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 what track would you liken it to, then, as one of his Beatles-sounding ones? Well, for a start, it's not necessarily sound-like, but it, he says it's his grown-up response to Girl. So he's done a yeah. song called Girl. Yeah. And it, and yeah. It's, so thematically, it's related to that. He's admitted it, admitted it. It sounds, it's got similar cadences to Here, There and Everywhere as well. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's got basically Here, There and Everywhere as it's a part of the chord structure and the backing vocal approach. And also, yeah. If I Fell as well, it's got some yeah. similarities to that. It's most, it's most aligned with McCartney's type of indulgent, but not overindulgent, I mean in a nice way, kind of indulgent um, love song. Yeah, tropes as well, isn't it? It's 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 quite, probably the closest Lennon gets to to that kind of unrestrained soppiness, <laughs> to put it one way. But yeah, in, again, in a good way. Nothing wrong with being a bit soppy, is there? No, not at all. And a, a key thing here is something we've talked about with some of the more successful songs of the Beatles and McCartney and people like that is the universality, where so much of John's stuff is directly. Oh Yoko. Yes. This yeah. is this is woman as a concept. Yeah. Even if he's written it because of Yoko, he's written it about womankind yeah. as it were, you know. So that's the universality makes it more, usable yeah. and accessible to more people. Indeed, indeed. Brilliant. Um I, yeah, so uh, yeah, it hit the, the the number one spot like you said. So, yeah, we have soppy John time. We have you know everything about it—the words, the music, the production—is all. I'm not. I'm not using it in a derogatory way. Soppy and silky and smoochy and all of that. You know, romantic. Yes. Um, you know, and and there's no doubting it is a very pleasant piece of music. I I like the progression and the cadence, even though it's it isn't isn't totally unlike here, there, and everywhere. It's its own thing, but it has that nice step up kind of step up and down kind of lilt to it. Um, Do you want an illustration? Go, go, go on, you're getting getting into I've this, got aren't a guitar. you? Yeah, I like this. So, yeah, so here, there, and everywhere is basically. I think it's in G. It's like like that. that. that, way, that keeps on going up, doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas this, this goes up and then down again. This is in, well, technically in E flat with a, but it's played with D shapes. So I'm going to put a capo on. 
Yeah. Also, see Wonderful World and other things. Uh... No, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> All right. But, yeah, and If mm. I Fell as well, if you think of it. Yeah, yeah. So what, what a Wonderful World's got the same kind of progression. Yeah. It's those soft major seventh-y minor transition chords, isn't it? They're all there's lots of major sevenths and minor chords kind of bridging them together, which gives them a I'll be a pain again. There's no major sevenths in there. Major sevenths are that sound. Oh yeah. I'm I'm going too jazzy there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it sort of goes major, minor, yeah, you know, major, minor type thing. Uh and it's not it's not like a doo-wop. It's sort of the same chords you use in, in what doo-wop progressions in different orders. Yeah. Around, it kind of sw- sw- makes it sway up and down, doesn't it? The scale it, it, c- it creates the slow dance feel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is it's definitely what it's aiming for. Given that the chorus is essentially just the words "I love you" with a there's not a, <laughs> yeah. there's not a specific hook again, but but what becomes the hook for this is almost the obviously it's the "I love you" bit, but then it's the "Well, well," and the "Do do 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 do" that becomes just yeah. a tiny little bit. It marks it out. You could easily have not have put that in and thought, yeah, it's all right to have a gap there, but that, that really works lovely. Um, which they then turns into now and f- now and forever later on. Yeah. It feels like a kind of an afterthought, really, but actually I think that tiny little addition just brings it all together. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a wash of kind of ringing out strings on guitars and actual strings and that the, the the means that your movement all comes from the kind of locked in bass and beat who's our bass player is it klaus no not on these ones this is this is um for the double fantasy sessions it's tony levin oh yeah so, so we're much more what i'd call a pro studio band here they're very professional sounding mm. professional studio very well produced recording mm. so you've got john on vocals and acoustic guitar you've got earl slick and Hugh McCracken on lead guitars or electric guitars, um, Tony Levin on bass, George Small on piano, Rhodes synth and the Prophet, uh, Rhodes piano and the Prophet five synth, hmm. Andy Newmark on drums and Arthur Jenkins on percussion. Then you have a handful of folks doing the backing vocals, which are quite cleverly and carefully arranged hmm. with like female voices and a male voice in there as well. Yeah, to try and you know get a nice balance. That's, that's very yeah. that's very light here, there, and everywhere in the block. Yeah. The blocks of ooze moving We'll talk around. about some of their choices. The blocks of ooze. Block the ooze. We, we love the ooze, don't we? Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that in production because, um, yeah, I've got some notes about that too. But I do think he sings it great and the harmony sections. and the, the I think he does harmony with himself and then there's the choir as well, isn't there? It feels yeah, I like... think there's some little there's some sort of little matching patterns yeah. where he sort of like moves from double tracking into harmonizing with himself but you can tell he wanted this in everything from it from the writing of it the performance of it and we'll get onto that the production of it that he wanted a well-rounded commercial romantic song sound and he's definitely got it packaged yeah. for, for it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice piece of music so i'm going to give it 80.5 for music yeah if um people are looking for other versions of it it's worth checking out the demo that's in the uh, lennon anthology box set Oh, which yeah. is sort of just him and his guitar and his rhythm machine, his little clicky drum thing that he used to do his demos with. Oh, okay. And on the Double Fantasy stripped down version, that's really worth listening to as well. Hmm. I don't think I have that. I have to listen out and get that or steal it from you. 
Um, okay, let's go on to production then. So this, I think the, the particular kind of feature of this production that I like is that you hear everything, but it also blends into one kind of one feeling with the strings, the choral kind of backing, the little, the, the, the legato and the little pizzicato strings or something that's... Well, that's an interesting thing. I don't think that actually is strings. I, I think, think it's a str I think that's a string type sound on the Prophet Five. Yeah, because um, there's that nice bit where they they use it to sort of simulate like pizzicato do, bits. Do, 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 do. Yeah, and it really right. does yeah. sound quite like pizzicato when it's sort of pushed into the mix a little bit. Yeah, and the broken chords on the guitars, the round bass, the clear toms. Uh, who who produced it again? Did you say? Well, it's John Yoko and, and Jack Douglas. Oh, good. So it's not Mr. Murderer. Because no. actually, there's a lot of this production that is similar to... It kind of gets almost as big as The Long and Winding Road does, but in a much better way. But it's, this is the kind of song that, that it benefits from it. You know, having lots of lovely syrupy strings and pizzicato things and big and, and nice choral backings is what this song needs once i think yeah and sounds right and um so that i think it's 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 really pitched just right it's 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 big and mushy and romantic and it needs to be yeah i have a bit of a problem with the mix on on double fantasy i think it's um, i might uh, be thinking because uh, i've been listening to whatever the latest one probably so well is no on. so there's now there's there's again with this song there's an ultimate mix mm. and i think that's quite nice yeah that's probably what i've listened to my problem with the version off double fantasy is that it's a very professional sounding album of the period which means that a lot of the drum sound is quite clipped and compressed right. and so the kick drum's very tight really mm. tight sounding and they've sort of they've improved that on the ultimate mix a little bit okay. because my problem with this is there's a, a few drum fills in it and I appreciate this is going back to music a little bit. There's mm. a few drum fills in it which, which feel to me that are a bit like very, very, yeah, a bit, a bit too strict. And when it's also sort of tightly compressed in the original mix, it comes across quite like, oh, that's a bit ee, ah to my ears. Oh, yeah, it must be something about that mix. But then it's 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 good. It's what you would expect of the period and mm. of a record made by someone like John Lennon in the scenario he's making it. Yeah, but yeah, I I. I do quite actually quite like the ultimate Vix version yeah, of this a bit it's, more. It's a bit less over compressed. Anyway. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it feels flows quite naturally. But that's I'm, that's what what I'm scoring anyway. So I'm, and I'm giving it 91 for production because I think it's it's a very nice. Well, I, it deserves it, it deserves production points not because of the sound necessarily, but because of something that Jack Douglas I believe suggested, which is I think he said to John is if you want this to be the classic type of love song that you try to write it is, uh, write it as, mm. you need a key change at the end. Oh, of course, yeah, I forgot to mention the key change, yeah, and it so, it works very well here. Yeah, you get so it's in E flat like capo on the first fret playing D shapes, and then it moves at some point up half yeah. a step, like like one one note up on the keyboard mm. to e and it's just enough to pick it up for the end part of it isn't it to yeah. move it along into towards the towards the outro because it's a fade as well yes yes definitely get you know it's rare that i'm that bothered about a key change but it does work here yeah uh and and um yeah it definitely does en enable it to repeat that last time round without it feeling like just more of the same 
Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, 91 for production. Um, so on to lyrics then. Um, so what's this all about then? I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, what I like about this, I think the most interesting feature of the lyrics is the 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 seemingly harshness of the kind of woman moniker, you know, the kind of woman you can, you know, it's, I, I think, I wonder how aware he was that you can almost, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with the word woman, but if you, unless you use it in an Alf Garnet kind of way, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, leading that, using that, that way of, of, of addressing. Um, it could be a bit finger that. pointy, couldn't it? Like yeah. woman. Yeah, and I think that, that I think he, that there's an awareness there that that that's leads into the tender, thankful words that follow, especially as he acknowledges his own thoughtlessness and goes on to apologise for causing sorrow and or pain. Although he says all pain, I mean, yeah, it's. I just wonder if he's playing with it because because he has, he has another song with it has woman in the title, which is woman is the n word of the world, doesn't he? Yes. And I think there he's, different thing. he's acknowledging the loadedness of the word. Um, so I think you know, and then and then confounding expectations, maybe, and, and with with a man of self admitted bad form in the past. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's as with most Lennon stuff, there's lots and lots of quotes about these sorts of things. Yeah, and he, t- he talks about this song. He says that's to Yoko and to all women in a way, you know, because my history of relationships with women is pretty typical of a certain type of man, which I was, I suppose, which is a very sensitive, insecure person acting out very aggressive and macho. Mm. And he goes on to talk about that, you know, and yeah, and and that's behind this song and his sort of he had some sort of revelation. He was away in. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple of songs in our episode today that have got slight nautical links in that okay. at some point John decides to go to Bermuda on a boat and right. as he's going out there everyone falls ill and he ends up having to captain this boat to Bermuda <laughs> and it's it's another bit of a tense point I think in his relationship with Yoko at this time and his sort of feeling like this rough Liverpoolian sea captain and he, if this he, isn't an indie film, I don't know what is. I know. It's, if we, if this, this, someone needs to write the script of the boat trip where John Lennon had to captain the the ship of. Well, I mean, if in. you're given that, if you think about the idea that you know his his dad went off to sea and left them and all yeah. that sort of stuff, there's all sorts in there that yeah. ties into this. But anyway, he gets to Bermuda and he starts writing songs again, and apparently this is one of the ones where he's writing it, and he goes, "Oh, actually, this is about." women there's quite a lot of them <laughs> it's, just, it's the, what i'm reading between the lines because it opens with him saying for the other half of the sky mm. which is a, a paraphrasing of mao zedong you know who said you know the chinese communist party chairman yeah. uh, who said women hold up half the sky right and okay. so that's where he's getting for the other half of the sky from um mm. <laughs> yeah okay well i mean i think this um this feels like it gels two parts of his personality together. One that would use the word woman curtly and the other one that kind of lives for the love of his woman in an almost motherly way, hence the mention of the child inside. And yeah, as we that, know, his habit of calling Yoko yeah. mother and things. We know all that, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so, but that said, you do have to be kind of a Lenin. You have to kind of know a bit about Lenin to bring to bear some of that deeper meaning. On the surface, it's... 
surface. It's it's quite, quite a you know a nice set of words about a contrite soppy man. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it 78 for lyrics, which gives it 83.2 overall. So should we get on to the next one, Paul? Yeah. So next we have, woman, don't you cry for me, George Harrison. <laughs> Woman, don't you cry for me, Paul. Oh, it's that woman again. It's that same. She's everywhere, isn't she? <laughs> no, it's funny how these two came out of the, uh, the yeah. selection bag next to each other. Really, because again, yeah, it's that use of the word woman to, to you know, non-specific yeah. woman. Yeah, so this is uh, the B-side of the single It's What You Value from the 31st of May, 1977. Yeah. comes out on Dark Horse Records, does not chart. Because uh, it's what you value didn't chart really didn't yeah so yeah so this yeah. is the B side and uh, thirty three it's off thirty three and a third it's basically it's the opening track off the album thirty three and a third recorded as with so much of George's things at FP Shot Friar Park Studios uh, in probably May nineteen seventy six mm. and obviously it's a George song and it's George producing co producing with or assisted by Tom Scott as we've had on a few of these. Yeah. And it is slide guitar funk blues thing. <laughs> of course. What else would it be? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is some funk bass going on there in the intro. We start off with some major slapping and popping going on. Oh, it's that bloody clavinet, the funky clavinet. And some clav, isn't it? funky clav. Yeah. I mean, you can't not be funk in a clav. It's, that's what it's therefore isn't it and obviously when you get down to the low end of the brass kind of that always marks a bit of you know rhythm and bluesy funk kind of yeah stuff. well you've got tom scott on this so you've got him on baritone sax yeah. which is your big low saxophone some choppy rhythms on the kit kind of like keeping it all going along which for me actually works weirdly well over george's slide guitars i quite like this fusion funky country bluesy thing because it, it's bluesy and it's also a bit it's it's yeah it's 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 a strange mix of genres isn't it yeah it doesn't quite do it for me um it's is it not no it's no. it's this sort of weird funk and there's like a rhythmical bit where there's sort of like stops rhythmic points mm. it doesn't feel like it hits hard enough no you know, something parliament wouldn't have got away with that they would have like thrown that in a bin and this isn't tight enough let's let's get some proper p-funk stuff going no on. i think if you yeah go on go on uh, but it's because i think the problem is he's he's written this a few years before and mm. it's like the first song he writes on slide guitar so this is really important okay obviously not the first one that comes out because lots come out before this but he he's during 1969, when he goes off on tour with Delaney and Bonnie, he just decides to pick up, you know, he goes to see them play one night and says, oh, I'll just join you for a bit, and then goes off on tour with this this mm. duo and their band. Um, and one night, he's given a, messing around, he's given a, like a slide guitar, bottleneck slide. Yeah. And he starts playing it, 
and then he's one of the first songs he or the first song he writes with slide guitar is this right tries recording it during all things must pass sessions uh, but then puts it aside and then comes back to it in 1976 right so it's really important in that sense because yeah. it's you know how that, how important the slide guitar sound is to George's post Beatles career hmm. and this is the song where it starts even though it doesn't appear till later but I don't like the funk version. I like I've you can go and listen to a um an oh, early like an right. early take uh, and and an all things must pass version which is much more sort of traditional stomping your foot playing slide guitar yeah. type thing. So that's Blue, where much you, more bluesy. You that's the that's the perspective I haven't got on it. So if I'd have heard a really good strict blues kind of con- uh, version and I'd uh, and I liked it. I might find this bit weird, but I hadn't yeah. heard that. And I find the fusion of the slide and the funk quite an interesting one. But you do. You. I think we're coming to the conclusion that you like a bit more these busy George songs than I do. Possibly that, because yeah, because uh, yeah, the the thing I don't like about it though, I'm not saying he lands it. I like the the idea. My my problem my problem with it is that. He leaves a huge long intro again before he starts singing, which as he seems want to do. Yeah. And then when he does start singing, he seems very tentative and quiet, which isn't yes, going to work yeah. against like you know. It's like and he's being you know yeah. that was that sounded that was funk. That although it sounded a little bit like jungle, <laughs> though um, he's, he's, he gets a bit louder later. But I think it, if this was really attacked with a proper big virtuosic. R&B voice. Yeah. It could have been, it could be, a, this could have been the A side. This should have been the A side. He would have got further than with It's What You Value. But because he comes at it with this kind of slightly underplayed George voice that he has, it doesn't, doesn't really work properly. With He doesn't get to, the, the vocal doesn't stand up against it, not just in its strength and its position in the mix. No, so. he's still singing it like he would be singing it just with yeah. himself accompanied by... You need to like, get like a Dobro or something like that. You need to get a bit more James Brown with something like this, you know, and, and it, not maybe that far, but something. It might not be him. This is a problem. It might not. He may have produced it in a way that really wasn't what he should be singing. But I think the the slide over the funk for me, and I suppose people with with similar sensibilities work quite well. But um, I like the general gist of it, so I'm going to give it seventy eight point five for music. Okay production then i mean i've covered a lot of that is i i think the um i like the bass I, I i like a bit of um i think it's an interesting sound that they've got in the bass i like i like the clanginess and yeah the I'll, I'll, let me just do the rundown oh, george yeah, is, george is doing vocals obviously slide guitars probably playing tambourine and um you know jews harp the little doing doing yeah. twang 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 uh david foster on clavy richard t on organ willie weeks on bass alvin taylor on drums and tom scott on barry sax oh right, tom scott yeah yeah, so he's he's always around in these sessions, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like you say the the big curse of this is the lyrics just get lost in the mix. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I just it's just the, the you know you just lose the um. He's just he's he's just too far off for the vo- vocals, both in volume and attack. But he's not terrible for it. But I think the overall effect is is really interesting, but it brings out a lot of personality in the song. It just doesn't quite make it, but. I like everything but that about it. So I, I like think the, the hi-hats are too high in the mix. Oh, I, is that not tambourine? 
No, it's it's, quite well, high there's, there's, there is tambourines in there, but uh, yeah, there's there's. See, I've gone different. We must just, this must tick different boxes for us because I said the decision to make the tambourine too loud to push the faster beats. Tambourine's and, fine. It's the hi hats that I don't, yeah, I I didn't don't notice appreciate. Because um, when the tambourines drop out and the brass joins in, we kind of kind of get a nice distinction of sections and a bit of layering up and down. I really like the sound of it, other than George's singing. I've given it 84 for production. Well, you do you. <laughs> you can't just say that to everything that I... I can I, I can You've just decided not to, not to worry about it. So, I'll go on to lyrics then, shall we? Yeah. Um, lyrics. Oh, let me get out I, me, mine, just so I've got it to hand. There you go. So, I... What I find interesting about this is we've got well it's more in line with the bluesy side of the music because we have a railroad type of theme i'm going to leave it at the station and i'm going to leave it at the station i've got a long way to go that's that's the traveling railroad type of bluesy folky thing isn't it so that fits in with the kind of rootsy themes but then because it's got an R&B side to it, we almost have the kind of the more gospel bluesy themes when he starts talking about, I've got to find my Lord. And that's the Lord that got to, you know, um, that's what he's off to do, isn't it, basically? That's what he was always about. Yeah. But it all fits in. The, the words are, it's a nice little tying of the words to the, to the, to the, the, the way the song sounds, basically. Yeah, it's funny. It's a different way of saying, um, I really want to see you, but it will take so long, my Lord. Yeah. It's, you know, when he's singing, there's no there's no one place I want to be. Attachment only hurts you. Um, that's the Lord. I've got to keep him in sight. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just, I think it's framed a bit oddly with woman, don't you cry for me, because it sounds quite ac- accusatory. Um, but actually, it's yeah probably actually quite supportive. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't worry about me. Yeah. Rather than, you know, it's, I think it's just the word weird. is just. I mean, unlike John's real, the last song where John really put the word up front, and although this is up front, it's not all revolving around it. I think it just fits the it fits the kind of rhythm of the this of the of the line to make it work. You know, it wouldn't work any other way. I don't think "girl, don't you cry for me" would work. It needs a double syllable type of attack on it. It's an attacking word, isn't it? As far as being able to sing it woman yeah. you know it, 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 so I, I think um yeah i don't think he's using it quite as consciously as john has i notice on um uh looking at oh no ignore me that's talking rubbish okay. it's two okay. there's two different um reproductions of lyrics written in the i me mine book mm. um one from the castle hotel stockholm sweden which is presumably when he first started um, writing it and then mm. another one from from later on where, it's, where the words are slightly different from what ends up on the yeah on the actual record it doesn't start with the I'm going to leave you here I'm going to leave you at the station so I've, I'm I've got this far alone now I'm I'll try to read it getting tired of complications so yeah it's, it's He's different words it back a little bit but if you think about him writing it in 1969 with what, everything that was going on with the Beatles. Mm. So so compli- what did he say? Did leaving, he say- leaving complications behind, etc. So did he, did he, what, what's his sound bite on this one then? It's mainly about it being the slide guitar thing. Oh, okay. Know. He doesn't yeah. really worry much about the, the words. 
Um, yeah, I think it's a good little set of words for a fine little B-side. It's, it's, it, it could have been, I think, it, for some years. Sounded it, like McCartney then. It's a fine little set of words. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, oh, a maybe B, it's got a little B-side, that. <laughs> We're a good little rock and roll band. <laughs> now, um, now, I see when I try to do it, it doesn't sound like anything. <laughs> now, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I, I think it had potential to be a much better song if it had been produced um, different with the singing. Well, I'm going to give it 76.5 for words, which gives it 79.7 altogether. Oh, decimal fans. Next, then we have Snookaroo, Ringo Starr. Snookaroo, Paul. Did you just say the word snookaroo? I did just say snookaroo. It feels like we should now start a game show. (laughs) And that's the title of a song, snookaroo. Apparently so. Yeah, no, it's fine. Snookaroo by Ringo. Okay, released as the A-side in the UK uh, on the 21st of February 1975. It was the A-side to a single that had ooh-wee on the B-side. Whereas in America, they got this song as the B-side to the No-No song, which was released as a single. Right. Don't worry about that stuff. All those tracks are on Goodnight Vienna anyway, I think. Which is his album from 1974, recorded in LA at Sunset Studios and the producer's workshop. Summer 1974. It comes out on Apple. It does not chart. Mm. And it is produced by Richard Perry. It is written by Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Hmm. And once you know that, it's very obvious. Yes, yes. Really. Once, once you know that, which I didn't know initially when I was listening and writing my notes until the very end. Yeah. So this is an example of those those albums that Ringo made. Those really quite good albums in the early seventies, mm. where he's got basically all his mates involved writing yeah. and, and playing with him as well. And of those mates, Elton John, who at this point, nineteen seventy four, absolute peak of his early powers. Mm. You know, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and all that stuff. He kept He's them for himself, he... didn't he? Probably give his powers. Not giving that one to Ringo. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah he, he's a huge star, yeah. El- Elton John, and he's he's done this for Ringo. Mm. Which is nice of him. All right. Uh, um, well, no, you know, well, you know, well... <laughs> Well then, you, well, you, just get up, just grasp the net. Okay, I it it starts promisingly. I thought I was immediately kind of cheered by the by the frantic boogie style piano, which I should have known at that point was Elton John. He loves playing his ching 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 chords, kind of yeah, like yeah. It's exactly his style. Yeah, it's, it's, and the kind of Harrison style. It's not Harrison playing on this, is it? But no, no, someone's doing a, a very Harrison style guitar riffage which i'm sure it's hard not to do when you're playing with one of the beatles and um i quite like the melody of the first kind of of the verses and the first one i think for some reason is easier to latch onto than the the subsequent repeats we get because again it gives way to the chorus link bit 
which takes you to a kind of the course is kind of a bit long and eventually links it to is, the, yeah, the yeah. kind of hook which is the kind of snookeroo is my name bit born on the eve of halloween and snookeroo is my name line but which point everything is joined in and it's getting bigger and there's brass and there's backing vocals and um yeah and i just i think the chords move around i wonder if this is one that you gave to ringo because let's be fair ringo is sometimes better delivering songs that don't need him to do too much moving around vocally well they wrote it for ringo yeah you know they, it's, it's, it's yeah. not a cast off necessarily it's it's something they wrote for ringo which is why it sort of feels a little autobiographical yeah you know and so it's i think musically what there's there's kind of there's a couple of problems here. I think Ringo's melody doesn't isn't as exciting as the chords going on around it, which means that the chords going on around it don't have as much impact. And then the chorus feels like it's got four bars too many in it, and it loses one of its main rhymes, which should land and doesn't land because he sang Snookaroo a few too many times between the the rhyme. I'll tell you, talk about that in the lyrics. It just never really quite hits. It feels like it should be better than it is. I find it very hard to remember. Once I've listened it, to it, it doesn't go in at all. It's like it's a funny one, and I'll tell you what I think is the problem with this. Um, it's an Elton John piano part, so it does all sorts. Yeah, he, he never plays like, or very rarely plays this sort of strict one four five rock and roll. This goes all over the place. Yeah, which is fine for Elton doing it. Yeah, who, who be- also sings with falsetto voices and does things like that. Um. There is a version, a demo of, by Elton of of this with him singing and Does, playing it, yeah. and it it sounds brilliant. Ah, yeah. it really works. But the, I think the key to that is, and the key is the key word, key fans. His demos in F major, right, um, with the sort of choruses in D minor, and Ringo's version is down in E flat. Now a that's whole tone. a whole tone down, which might not seem like a lot, but it's enough to make Ringo struggle on the low end of the mm. of his his delivery. And it's it doesn't really get why it's not like it's wild and virtuosic in the high end of it. I don't know why well, they've done it lower yeah. down. I think if they'd have done it at the pitch that that um, Elton demoed it, it yeah. would have been better for Ringo's voice, and it would have it would have been mm. a, perhaps a bit more memorable. But let me just run down the people playing. Ringo's yeah. playing um, vocals, obviously, do, but doing drums with Jim Keltner. So you've got two drum kits mm. as well. Elton on piano, as if you couldn't tell. Mm. Robbie Robertson on guitar. He plays a brilliant guitar solo in this, I must say. Yeah. Klaus is on bass. James Newton Howard on synth. And then you have a group doing backing vocals, which gets quite histrionic. And then you have a, a nice four-part horn section as well. Good. Yeah, so there's a lot going on, which it oh, yeah. can be the case with Ringo ones. Yeah, it's not terrible. It passes the ears okay, but I don't can't remember it. <laughs> and yeah, um the playing on it's good and he sings it okay, but I don't I don't think the song something doesn't work about it, does it? I mean, I think that's proven in the fact that Elton John wrote it, yet still it didn't do anything. It should have been You'd have thought there'd be more ingredients for it to get somewhere, but it, it yeah. obviously doesn't hit something. So I'm only giving sixty-seven for music production. I think the production's good. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So it's a really driving bassy mix. It's it's uh, yeah. for what for what the music is for what's going on in it. It's pretty good. Yeah, 
I mean, let's again, dare I say it, it does the thing that a few producers do with Ringo, which is throw a lot around him to build up the excitement around perhaps not the most kind of forthright vocal. Yeah. So we do have backing singers and brass and layers joining in throughout, but it, 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 in this in this instance, he holds up against it, and it, and it does create a building feeling of excitement. Um, yeah, it's again, it's just the problem is the production doesn't match. I don't think the song arrangement, something like the song arrangement, doesn't what the production is saying to you. Get excited about this bit, and you want to be, but then it doesn't. Something about the the writing of it means it you don't you don't or something. I don't know what it is if the writing of the Singing, I think you. I think you're right. It's. Um, I. Th- I think you're. The problem is the core of the thing, which is the chorus, isn't really. Yeah, it doesn't, it's fl- it's flabby, and it's going like get excited about this thing, and it, you you don't quite ever get the payoff. So anyway, we can't really fault the production. I'm gonna give it seventy nine for production. Yeah, I'd say listen out for for the two drum kits going on in there. It's interesting mm. when you have like one snare drum clearly off in the left hand speaker. And another one more centrally because you've got two drummers on there, so they've got more to play with in the soundscape, which is interesting. Okay. Right. Well, then let's go on to the lyrics. Then, so here, I think um, we do have some very interesting lyrics here. I do like these lyrics, apart from the <laughs> the snookeroo bit. But I mean, that's that would be fine, really, if the song was a bit more. Um, it kind of if it it landed a bit better, but it's funny, isn't it? Because it say because it, it's written about him, it does it sounds autobiographical, autobiographical, but it would actually be biographical, wouldn't it? Because it's written, he yes. didn't write it. Yeah. So it's written by a what's his face? So Bernie Taupin, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of plays into Ringo's proper working class credentials. If you know prior to becoming the drummer for the biggest band of all time, but you know before that he was from the rough end of Liverpool, wasn't he? Very rough. And destined for a life of a of a snookeroo. I'm guessing snookeroo is just some word they've plucked out of the air. Well, I never, I've never heard it in any other context. This, the implication is that it's that this guy's name is or nickname is snookeroo because that's because he just is. spends his time drinking and playing snooker. Yeah, um, and the, that suggests that that's a term. So, if anyone can tell me that snookeroo is a term, because mm. I couldn't really find any. You've never heard say, it around the mean streets of. Of um, Liverpool, have you, Snookeroo? No, no. Hey, Snookeroo! Oh my God! What? Don't do that. <laughs> it wasn't me. Some, someone just, just came a, in. You suggested a passing scouser has <laughs> yeah. come in and accused you of being a pool hall layabout. They just heard me talking about it. Um, but I like the part from that bit. I like the kind of urban working class words, and he is more than qualified from his pre-fame days to sing them even if they were written for him. I think they read better off the page than they do in the song. So this is the bit that gets me right. So when you read them off the page, this is the bit that is what I'm trying to get at with the chorus. It says, We were sentenced by the wrecking crane. Oh, I was born on the eve of Halloween. And snookeroo, snookeroo, snookeroo's my name. So the rhyme there is the wrecking crane with snookeroo's my name. But you've yes. forgotten all about that we were sentenced by the wrecking crane line by the time you get to Snookeroo's my name. Yeah. Because I was sentenced by the wrecking crane. I was sentenced by the wrecking crane. Oh, I was born on the eve of Halloween and Snookeroo. 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 Snookeroo's my name. And by that point, you, you, you've forgotten about the You've forgotten that the rhyme, the rhyme's gone. It works on the page. 
because you yeah. don't read it with that the, the, the extended snookaroos out. That's that ex, extra four bars or something. So, but I like I like um I like, the line we were sentenced by the wrecking crane yeah, is good. So great. you know, congrats we've, Bernie on that one. It's, yeah, we were sent, there's some great lines in here. I, I like the um. I tried to make my parents proud by adapting the social powers. Oh, pigs will fly and the earth will fry when they get me doing honest hours. I think that's Then good. the next slide is snookeroo, snookeroo. Daddy's going on the booze. booze. Mother truck used to cut my hair and sister used to make the news. Oh, that's fine. I like that. It's kind of it like... Just get a, it just get a little bit like, do you remember the good old days when a bag of chips was 13p <laughs> and you could run around and call people all sorts of names and no one would get offended and we didn't have computers or legs? Yeah, it's exactly like that. Um, Get it printed on a tea towel. Two rooms <laughs> up and two rooms down. Two rooms sideways, two rooms below was he, them. Was he born on the eve of Halloween? No, so th- not, not even close. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a strange line to put in there, isn't it? I think it's, yeah, I, I, the implication of that line I always think is basically like... Uh, the night before the witching hour. Yeah, sort of. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just... The eve of Halloween is weird because that's basically like saying I'm born on the Hallow Eve Eve. Because yes. Halloween is Hallow's Eve anyway, isn't Little it? Hallow's Eve, yeah. Yeah. To Bernie. Um, but anyway, oh yeah, because um, I like how factory girls are my type. That's quite good. I could spend my life with a factory girl because the factory girl is my type. Was Was Maureen a factory girl? No, no, she was a uh, hairdressing apprentice, I think. No. Uh. <laughs> So it's not. It wasn't like a. It wasn't we've a world away. It's, it's, yeah, we've written your biography, uh, Ringo, but we've just not found out anything about you. Yeah, we just made some assumptions about the North. That's it, really, isn't it? But I, I like them. They're very different. And given, the, the, yeah, it's not going to make much of a difference. I'm giving him eighty-two for lyrics. Um, well, how do you count that? Because they Ringo didn't write that, did he? Uh, but yeah, but we've this. We don't as long as it's got words because we've already. Oh scored yeah, him I, for forgot, a, I forgot what you said. This was. series, you can't have it both ways. You told me off when I didn't. Score. I don't remember. But yeah, but also this was written for him, so it's not like a cover. Okay, either. no, it's, it's fine. Yes, yeah, you know, it was commissioned, selected material chosen. Yeah. So we get seventy six altogether. Um, next, then, true love, George Harrison. love paul ah bless true love how sweet well Mm. on the subject of who wrote things yes (laughs) this is a single from 33 and a third so the same album we were discussing before again obviously out on out on i cannot speak so obvious obviously this was out on dark horse it Mm. did not chart pure smoky is the b-side oh okay so we've had pure smoky already Obviously recorded an FP shot, produced by George with the assistance of Tom Scott, songwriter-composer Cole Porter. Mm. So this is a song from the musical film High Society from 1956, which stars Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly, and which I have never seen. No. Um, I I would like to see it, though, because I like a good Hollywood musical like that from that period and Mm. earlier. 
And what's really interesting about this is I think I possibly tricked you, not tricked you, uh, confounded you a little bit by telling you eventually that it was not a George original. Yeah, after I'd done all my notes and not even, I hadn't stumbled on it at all. Yeah. I only so, stumble on things like that if the words are like, well, there's no way I'm attacking these lyrics notes without looking them up a bit. Because if they're just like the last one, the Snooker, I had to go and find that out. And that's where I learned it wasn't a Ringo song. With this one, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, this is written by Cole Porter, the Cole Porter who wrote Anything Goes. Mm-hmm. You know, anything goes in. <laughs> fish bananas. Anything goes out. Fish, bananas, old pyjamas, mutton, mutton, beef and, and trout. trout. Yeah. yeah, so on with the pixie hats, bring in the roller skating vicars. Some people all know what they were talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Cole Porter, a legendary songwriter. And George has decided to cover it for his his album, his 33 and a third. And it ends up as one of the singles. And it does not chart. Yeah, yeah not doing good for charters, are we? Well, we've had one, number one. Yeah, we've had a number and then one. A, then a run of non-charters. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what I was saying... Is if you don't know that this is a cover, you could be mistaken for it being a George, yeah. a George original because it's got some of the real hallmarks of George songs that we talk about yeah. a lot. And if you listen to the two, I mean, when you told me that, I went and listened to it. Obviously, the 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 um, Bing Crosby version from the film. Yeah, and I was a minute into it thinking, have I made a massive mistake and completely listened to the wrong song? Because they don't sound immediately very similar until you've. You get to certain sections and go, oh, yeah, it is that. Because George's is more up-tempo. It's completely, like, instrument. It's arranged slightly differently, I think. I don't, I'm not entirely sure it's going to even be the same chords, is it? Is it? Well, I'll tell you about that. But let me just mention. So the one thing that happens very often with these sort of musical songs is they have a mm. sort of opening section before the main bit that we all know. Yeah. So... In, in this one, True Love opens with the lines, sun-tanned, wind-blown, honeymooners at last alone, feeling far above par, oh, how lucky we are. Then it goes into what George adapts for the song. Yeah. But if I t- read you these lines from a different song okay. by Irving Berlin, the sun is shining, the grass is green, the orange and palm trees sway. There's never been such a day in Beverly Hills, L.A., but it's December the 24th and I'm longing to be up north. Do you know what song that is? I'm dreaming you keep going. of keep a going. white Christmas. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but nobody knows that bit. No. Because it didn't end up on the famous version that, that everyone knows as a recording. Bing again. Bing yeah. again. And, and so it's always interesting when you have you come across these things because I looked up the sheet music for True, True Love so I could see the chords. Bing's a great name, isn't it? Yeah, it's also a great sound on a microwave. Mix. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't call someone Bing nowadays because no no one would be able to talk to them without saying, hey, Bing! <laughs> Just... Well, uh, hang on, isn't that an animated rabbit called Bing? What animated rabbit? Isn't, isn't there one of those stupid kids things that... Uh... Oh, there is. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. There, is, there is an animated rabbit called Bing. <laughs> I oh. thought you'd lost your mind. <laughs> no. no yeah, yeah, there is an animated rabbit called Bing. I went to school today and I hurt my finger... Yeah, that's Bing. I I watched. I saw one. I think when I was sat 
with my niece, not just watching it, obviously, on my own, where mm. he was just melting ice creams and being an absolute nuisance. Yeah, he is. He is. He's a menace. Anyway, but let's get back to George Harrison's true love. But not George Harrison's true love, as we found, but his version of it. Yeah. So, bearing in mind my notes were written before this, not that I think it makes much, which is good, actually, because I took it in its, you know, in its entirety without any, any other kind of influences. It, it has... I had said, so it has that feeling of George's strange chords and slightly unorthodox melodies that we've come to expect. But yeah. then I, then for me, it didn't really feel like it finds its place or give me anything to hang on to melodically, which I'm thinking might be George's version of it now. I'm going to listen to it. Well, the original version is in a very loose waltz time. Yeah. I'm getting the guitar again. Oh, dear. I mean, <sighs> great. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, it's... But it's very, very loose waltz. And when you've got Bing doing how he, he delivers his things, mm. you know, it's quite slow. Yeah, yeah. Whereas George basically does it in 4-4 four, four and goes faster, 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 yeah. faster, faster. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the most distinctive bit, which I, I quite like, is the modulation from one section to another when it goes yeah. into the guardian angel bit. And, it, it, you know, it changes kind of key or modulator or whatever. Which which merely marks it out, and I like the little bit of harmony slide guitars that do these. It's obviously like George has packed it full of his his trademarks. His, yeah. yeah, his motifs. His, well, his... one of those things. So talking about the chords in the uh, Bing version, in the original, in the sheet music version, you have a section like where it's doing this. Um, hang on, let me try and get this in the key that he does it in. It does a thing because. So there's that little pattern, mm. whereas George's version goes. Yeah. Does that weird slide? It does a little semitone slide, which is a very George very thing jo- to do. Very Georgey thing again. Yeah. I don't and then when you combine it with the modulation bit you said, that feels George-ish as well. Yeah. So I, I don't think, yeah, it's got flashes of George's signature and darkish chord changes and feels close, but not quite. Presumably, I, I wrote that note because I, it isn't. It is close, but not quite, isn't it? So I was quite spot on there, actually. Well done. Um, so seventy for music. I'm giving it um, production. One of my problems with this, which is also part of the arrangement problem, but also the way it's been recorded, is it has a constant backdrop of sustained tinny guitars and organ, and it just makes it feel a bit shrill and tinny. It just, yeah, it's just too much for the song. The song yeah. can't quite bear the weight of this arrangement, which is why I find it baffling that it ended up as an A-side to a single. Yeah, because it, it cause if he'd have taken a deep breath and tried to do, not not like a traditional version, not try and do a 1950s musical version, mm. but to do something a bit more in that direction... Mm. To have given the song the space to breathe. There's a reason, you know, Cole Porter is one of the greatest songwriters, composers of all time. Mm. It's because his songs have phenomenal power of melody and and, and harmony. Mm. Um, but yeah, George, it's two minutes, 44 seconds long, George's arrangement of this. It feels like he's he's going, let's just get a really fast version, get a go, 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 and it's done. Yeah. It's, it just stops. Done. Yeah. Yeah. And George's voice, once again, is struggling against the layers it, it's yeah. singing along with. And 
it should be higher in the mix or stronger or something. I like the slide guitar when it's featured in the foreground, but the slide guitars that are near constant in the background aren't. Well, it's like it's almost got the same arrangement as um, this song. Yeah. But because George has written this song, yeah, it sounds that, right. that those yeah. instrumental choices make sense there. This feels yeah. like they've just gone, oh, just play, everyone stay on the same instruments, but we're going to do a Cole Porter thing. Yeah. And, and everyone's a bit, a bit high on adrenaline. And, and they're going, that's, that's the single. Quick, yeah. package it, seal it. Make sure it's out before anyone can wake up and change their mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. It sounds better at the start than it goes on to become a bit too flabby uh, as things layer in. The bass is nice, though. So I'm going to give it 69 for production. I'd like to make a, a, an aside production statement, which is okay. there is a video for this that was produced, which yes. I've never seen before until today. Yeah, I'll have a look at that. Which is another one that Eric Idle and Neil Innes are involved. So Eric's directing and... It's very sort of Monty Python salad days yes esque type thing, but without the blood and violence. Yeah, and you have Neil Innes in it as playing Harpo Marx as an angel. <laughs> right, I didn't get that far. I just <laughs> who steals who steals George's girl from his punt? His what? Punt. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, well, let's go on to the words then. Um, lyrics. So. Again, we're going to be scoring someone else's lyrics. I mean, there's not much to it. No, it's uh, I give brief. to you and you give to me true love. It's a true love. So on and on it will always be true love. It's a true love for you and I have a guardian angel on high with nothing to do but to give to you and to give to me a love forever true, a love forever true. Simple. Yeah, yeah simple. Um, nothing wrong, but nothing particularly great. Ah, 64 for lyrics. 67.7 overall. Okay. Righto. Maybe move on from that, I think. Not much to say, really. So, finally, I've had enough. <laughs> Paul McCartney. You stand behind me with a watch in your hand And I can't get nothing done Well, people tell me you're a punctual man But come on, come on I've had enough I can't put up with any more No, 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 no I've had enough I can't put up with any more No, 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 no I've had enough, Paul uh listening to <coughs> listening to this song i think i've had enough paul as well to be honest oh, it's a wings song it's yeah, a wings song oh yes it's wings, wings yeah. rather yeah. than mccartney solo but yeah it's it's from london town that's the associated album comes out in 1970 uh, 16th of june 1978 on parlophone with deliver your children on the b-side it gets to number 42 in the uk charts oh so it's a charter it's a charter, um, a bit like the boat that they recorded it on. He chartered that as well. <laughs> that was a brilliant link. That was a brilliant link. I could oh. never do. I could never do like news linking items because I'd be so self congratulatory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll tell you what I did watch. Oh, so it came out on the sixth of January finally on Disney Plus, which is if these walls could sing the documentary by um, Mary Mary Abbey McCartney. Road. Yeah, about Abbey Road. I won't watch that. It's Go and watch it. I encourage everyone to watch it, but um, mm. I'll reserve my opinions on it in this context because I thought it was a bit of a missed opportunity. Okay. Um, 
but during that, obviously, Paul's like, we keep, yeah, we always come back to Abbey Road. This is, you know, we know this place. Whereas actually, a lot of the seventies, he was getting away from Abbey Road all the time by mm. doing silly things like going, should we record on a boat? Right. How, how practical is that? Doesn't matter. Throw money at it. Mm. And so he records a lot of songs on the Fair Carol, which is a, a, equipped as a studio in the Virgin Islands right. during 1977. And this is one of the songs they record on there. Tons of things go wrong. People keep getting injured and hurt and all. It's just ludicrously impractical. Did they get stranded and John had to come out and rescue them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was grown a massive grizzled seaman's beard in like five days. You could... You could, you could build that into the indie film where on his attempt to get them out of the Bahamas somehow John ends up stumbling across you know wings. what the, yeah the fan they, fiction is uh, yeah opportunities are very powerful <laughs> but yeah they do then go off and they do some overdubs a little later in in Abbey Road I mean that's what he mainly did he kept coming back to Abbey Road to actually finish off things that he started in silly other places mm. okay yeah well, it's a Paul, written by Paul produced by Paul it's the lineup with Paul Linda Denny Jim Jimmy McCulloch and Joe English before just before those two left wings I think okay. and it's just come out onto streaming services because it's part of the singles box set obviously oh uh, okay well that's good timing yeah that's where I found it so yeah so it's a walking a fine line this one the line between oh a bit of Macca rock and roll and oh they're doing the 70s pastiche glam rock and roll you know, yeah. it's like, because oh, his credentials are so strong, it's like, he almost pulls you in. Because if there's something he can do, he's rock out. And by the end of this song, I feel like we're getting there. But he's also got that weird held back control feeling for it for the most part. And I don't like the way he sings no, 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 no bit. New, 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 new. No, he does do a funny voice, doesn't he? Yeah, he's doing an irritating <laughs> voice, isn't it? New, new. Why is he doing that? But by the end, he's gone all Little Richard with the I've had enough, and he's doing it full rock and roll voice, and that's that works. Um, I quite like the interesting and kind of little trilly harmony guitar solo bit. I think that adds a bit to it. And I quite mm. like the tom-tom work on the drums, which is... Yeah, well, the, yeah, the weird solo bit is, is the most musically interesting bit, because the guitars mm. are doing something bonkers, and the drums do something bonkers yeah. as well. It doesn't feel like single material to me, but it's okay. No. Uh, I, I don't mind it. It's in the high, high, high kind of camp, isn't it? But it's not as not good. as good as high, high, high by any means. No, exactly. Which, which is why I don't think it's a single. But it was. So, well, yeah. you've got to think about right, what what the other singles were around this time. Mm. You've got, you know, you've got with a little look, brilliant. You've got Mull of Kintyre, you know, mm. and this is like probably the least of them. From this period, but he likes to let he likes a rock and roller, doesn't he? Even even if he's doing it this way, I can imagine him being like, "Oh, I know it's it's it's, it's a good little number that you know. Let's put that out too." And and it, even though because he probably enjoyed playing it, you know, and singing it. Yeah, it's, it's a bit it's a bit off. You know, that's what I mean. It's kind of half like it, really. I'm going to give it seventy one point five for music. Okay, okay, production. I think one of the things that's giving it, that's moving it away from the rock and roll, classic rock and roll feel to the 70s one is all the phased guitars that are going on. Yeah. There's a lot of phased, distorted guitars, giving it a kind of a 70s sheen. It's actually quite thin for the most part, production-wise, which I quite like. It hasn't, they haven't pushed too much of a wall of sound, glam sound, have they? 
Um, no, it's not done the full boom, pacha, boom, pacha, no. you know, reverb for days type thing. No, but it just keeps saying, kind of, that's what I'm saying it's about walking the line. So, yeah, I think he's, he sings it well and there, and his voice is great over it. We never have that problem with Paul, do we? We never, we never have to say, you know, oh, it's, it's, he's too far behind, you know, below the mix or something. It, 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 it's good. And I like the cool guitar solo and the sounds. You know the and the sound that that carries on behind it in the second half of the song. I quite like the production. It's not anything amazing, though, is it? It's just no, all. it's just what it is. I've written the middle of effort. The middle of effort. Yeah, it's just. Does that mean? That just basically means he's not done any. He's not ignored it. He's not spent too much time no. on it. He's just done. Here's a mix. Yeah, it'll do. It'll do. Um. So. Uh yeah, seventy seven. I'll give him for production. Lyrics then. Well, apparently, when they recorded it initially on the Fair Carol, it didn't have any words, and so the overdubs were him going, "Better put some words on it." Uh, okay, right, fair enough. But I mean, so it's not in his lyric book or anything, is it? <laughs> no. So we don't know who he's had enough with. I mean, is he? That's what I was wondering. When he says, "I've had enough." I'm like, is he, is it like, is it a a person? Is it a man that he's had enough with? Or is it the man he's had oh, enough with? Or well, a woman? A woman, Paul, just to kind of keep it in Woman. The, yeah, because I quite like the fact that, like, it sounds like Paul McCartney is getting pissed off with someone. You know, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Because I quite, th- I think the theme of the song is, is good. Like, um, you can imagine if, if he'd have nailed the music a bit more so it wasn't a number 42 chart but it was a top tenner kind of thing mm. that this would appear on many an advert or TV theme or something because it's, it's a song about like you know I've had enough I've had enough people change your job today I've had enough kind of thing like oh, it's got a good it's yeah but it's got a good solid theme but um, it'd be on Homes Under the Hammer yeah it'd be on everything you know if, we've I mean, been if, trying to get permission from the council to uh <laughs> <laughs> Make the alterations to the house, outside of the house. It's taken six months now and £30,000 and our budget was only £5,000. I've had enough! Yeah. And then they, 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 they go to the other side of Stoke-on-Trent to look at the next house. The next house, yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, you're talking to me from the back of my car and I can't get nothing right. And then you wonder why I stand at the bar day and night. I've it's a weird, like last the last line of each verse is like just three words. Day and night, I've had enough. Yeah, and then you've got. But come on, it'll pay for a bomb. But well, so that's because, it. I, you know. I like the second one because the second one he goes, "You stand behind me with a watch in your hand, and I can't get nothing done." Well, people tell me you're a punctual man, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I like that line. I think that's like come on, come on. Right? There's being punctual and there's being like, mean two minutes over your. So it made me feel like this should be about someone, but obviously that that we would know about that. I think if it was. And um, and then yeah, the thing that made me pivot to thinking maybe it's about everyone. Yeah. Or, the, well, then there's that verse the, which is clearly about having to pay taxes. Yeah, I earn the money, you take it away. When I don't know where you, when, when I don't know where you're from, I should be worried. But they say it'll pay for a bomb. <laughs> it'll pay for a bomb. It'll pay for a <laughs> bomb. <laughs> Sang to the blankety blank. Um, pay for a bomb. Pay for a bomb. Bang bang bang. <laughs> pay for a bomb. Um, Do you think we've got enough? Like very. 
British specific references <laughs> in in this episode. Anyone so. from outside of Singers, it. Seeing as a huge amount of our listenership is in the US. <laughs> Anyone who's not like 40 plus years old and British. I imagine it's part of the charm, Paul. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. I, yeah. I, the bomb thing is obviously about taxes being used for bombs. Um, yeah. So I quite like them. 77 also. So that gives it 75.2 overall. Okay. So there we go. So we have two in the top 20. So I'm going to do that, the full top 20. But first we'll just do where the other ones landed. Okay. So True Love by George Harrison has gone in at number 40. I've Had Enough has gone in at number 28. And um, Snookeroo by Ringo at number 23. Oh, right. Oh. Narrowly missing out on a top 20 well, place. It's, yeah, it's... it's fact, get... the highest Ringo one I've got so far, which is Well, it's, it's that period of Ringo's where, you know, by and large, the singles are pretty good. You yeah. Know, and Snookeroo, yeah. as we've discussed, is pretty good for a Ringo single. So. Yes, but it's, it's just, yeah. Okay, so let's do the top 20 then, see how that's looking. Here we go. At number 20, Remember Love, John Lennon, Yoko Ono. At number 19, Happy Christmas, War is Over, John Lennon, Yoko Ono. At number 18, Backwards Traveller, Cufflink, Paul McCartney. At number 17, Woman, Don't You Cry For Me, George Harrison. At number 16, Yes, I'm Your Angel, Yoko Ono. At number 15, Deep Blue, George Harrison. At number 14, John Lennon, Number 9, Dream. At number 13, Paul McCartney, My Love. At number 12, George Harrison, My Love. At number 11, Power to the People, John Lennon. At number 10, Jet, Paul McCartney. At number 9, Woman, John Lennon. At number 8, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, John Lennon. At number 7, John Lennon, Cold Turkey. At number 6, Yoko Ono, Kiss Kiss Kiss. At number 5, John Lennon, Give Peace a Chance. At number 4, Stand By Me, John Lennon. At number 3, Love in Song, Paul McCartney. At number 2, Band on the Run, Paul McCartney. And at number 1, Paul McCartney, Another Day. Interesting. So that's 65 we've done now, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to say yes. Just times the episode. It is 65. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So we, we probably got... Um, I think we worked out we've got... Uh, this half of the series is going to be a similar, just a bit shorter than the first half of the series, won't it? And that will take us to the end of... It can't be shorter it. if it's a half. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> this, this, Sorry, this... that's just I say that just because I remember that happening once in a school lesson with someone saying, you know, why am I saying cut it uh, in two rather than cut it in half? Some teacher at some science lesson and everyone being a bit stupid that day and being like, I don't know. And it being because of halves have to be exactly equal. Just, and I've never forgotten that. <laughs> you stop trying to segue our podcast into fractions, anecdote paul george um, harrison did 33 and a third of course right stop it right so we'll see you next week and uh, <laughs> thanks again goodbye and a merry beetle to you